Diversion Audio. Welcome back to Dear Skylar, where I talk to all kinds of incredible people about topics that I'm asked about as a transgender educator and activist, things like gender, sexuality, race, sports, intersectionality, and so many things in between and beyond. When I talk about gender identity, which is something that I do frequently, I'm often accused by people who disagree with me of attempting to, quote, deny science or, quote, erase biology, which neither of which I'm trying to do. But we're raised in a cis-normative world, one that believes that everyone is cisgender and that gender is defined by the appearance of one's anatomy, specifically their genitalia at birth. And we're taught that gender is fixed and that gender is immutable. But if you've been here for a while or a few episodes or if you know me and my work, you know that A, I'm transgender, which means that my gender identity differs from what I was assigned at birth. But you also might know that gender identity or gender is not the same as biological sex. Gender itself is a social identity while biological sex refers to our anatomical, reproductive, and physiological sex characteristics. So sort of our biology. You might know that gender is not binary. There are more than two genders and there's really a spectrum of gender. But you might not know that biological sex is also not binary that it is also a spectrum. A lot of people are taught that biological sex is simple, that it is XX equals female and XY equals male, and that that's it. Sometimes we're also taught about, you know, genitals also equaling gender. So, you know, vagina equals female and, and penis equals male. But there's actually so much more complexity there. And there's a word that maybe you know, maybe you don't. It's called intersex. And intersex literally means between sex. And that means that people's bodies don't fit these neat little buckets that we've really constructed of, quote, male and quote female. In a world with gender reveals and such a focus on gender and schools teaching that biology is quite binary and way simpler than it actually is, it's really important for us to learn about the complexity that our biology actually holds. And as we do that, the most important thing is to learn from the people who are actually intersex themselves. A person who is intersex has variation in their own sex characteristics. And a lot of times, historically speaking, these folks have had bodies that the general medical community has decided, quote, need to be fixed or, quote, surgically corrected. But just like transgender people don't need to be fixed, intersex folks don't need to be fixed either. Today, we're going to talk about the complexity of biological sex and answer this question. Why is biological sex not binary? To help address this question best, I spoke with my friend, Alicia Rothweigel, author, intersex activist, and changemaker. Alicia, I'm really excited that you're here. Um, you walked right in, gave me a hug, and I just love your energy. Uh, you told me you're a little caffeinated. I am a little um, caffeinated is... today, yeah. <laughs> well, I love the energy. It's, Thank you. Um, it's good energy, so I'm really excited to talk to you. Um, I'm curious. I, I've done my research, and I know quite a bit about you. I've watched some videos and listened to um, a couple episodes that you've done, but I'm curious for, for our listeners who might not know a whole lot about you, if you could give a quick intro, name and pronouns, and then maybe a little about who you are. Yeah. So my name is Alicia Ross. Weigel. I use she and they pronouns. Um, I'm originally from Philly by way of, as we mentioned before, Angola, South Africa, Brazil, East Coast, West Coast. I've lived kind of all over. And then funnily enough, landed in Texas in 2016. Never would have thought Texas would have become home, but here I am and I don't see myself leaving. Mm. Um, I am, I wear quite a few hats. Um, I, have my own social change consultancy where I've done everything from running political campaigns to helping launch venture funds that um, invest in LGBTQI-led businesses. But above all, I am an intersex activist, and that is um, what I'm most proud of and what defines the majority of my day-to-day and is kind of my my real calling in life. Mm. Yeah. Uh, thank you for sharing all that. Yeah, um, yeah it's, it's quite a history of, of like where you've lived too. I asked you that question sort of nonchalantly. And then you it's had not like a your usual list. life trajectory. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not a not a typical sort of set of places that no. you live, but very cool. Um, so for people who don't know, we're gonna we're gonna go back to sort of one on one basics. You said you're an intersex activist, and I'm yep. curious if you could define what that means to us. Yeah, so intersex is an umbrella term that refers to a wide variety of variations 
experience that people like me have in our sexual and reproductive anatomy. Mm. So basically, folks are at this point generally familiar with the fact that um, sexuality is not binary. You're mm -hmm. not only gay or straight. There's mm -hmm. a broad spectrum in between. Mm -hmm. um, people are starting to understand more that gender is also not completely binary. You're not only a man or a woman. There's mm -hmm. non-binary and a whole spectrum as well mm -hmm. in between. Mm -hmm. What most people are less familiar with is that sex is also not binary. Mm -hmm. And by sex, I'm referring to the physical characteristics that you are born with. Mm -hmm. um, so that could be anything from genitalia, to internal reproductive anatomy, mm -hmm. to your chromosomes, your hormones, any sort of physical traits. Um, and they, contrary to popular belief or what some people may believe, um, that is also not binary, um, contrary to what exists on a birth certificate that only says M or F, there's mm -hmm. actually a broad variety of of um, sexes that that fall be between the binary, and we refer to all of those collectively as intersex. Hmm. Yeah, between sex, right? Yeah, Inter between sex, exactly. Um, yeah, so I actually first learned about intersex folks. I think we've, well, let's take a really back, which I think most people have heard offensive terms yes. um, that we don't use anymore yep. um, in terms, and I don't, I don't really feel like repeating them, but we, totally. we mostly just use intersex now. But I think a lot of us have probably heard of, you know, when we that were kids. That H like, word. Yes, that H word or the, <laughs> the one where people are like, oh, both genitals or right. whatever, right? We've all kind of heard of that growing up. Mm -hmm. um, and and so it's it's sort of, that's, that's part of the spectrum is that yep. there might be somebody who has um, multiple different genitals, but that's incredibly uncommon. And it's much more common to have variations, like you said, of, of perhaps hormones or uh, chromosomes or internal reproductive organs and so on. Yep. Um, and I actually first learned about that in college and I was taking a class called hormones and behavior. Yep. And it was all about, you know, how our hormones and our bodies and our biological sex sort of, um, comes to fruition, if you will. And yeah. And sexual, uh, yeah. and most people don't know that for the first I believe it's seven weeks mm -hmm. of um, development in mm -hmm. utero. There, we actually all look a lot more similar. Mm -hmm. So I, for example, have XY chromosomes, mm -hmm. which most people associate with male, mm -hmm. um, but my body didn't respond to certain hormones in the womb. Mm -hmm. um, androgen hormones, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, which most people would call masculinizing hormones. Mm -hmm. And so despite my XY genetic blueprint, instead of developing external testes, my testes remained internal inside my body. Mm -hmm. And rather than my genitalia developing into a phallus, mm -hmm. um, I ended up with a vulva. Mm -hmm. And so I think it just kind of shows, and we learn this when you learn about um, gender reassignment surgery or mm -hmm. gen gender affirmation surgery, mm -hmm. that all of the parts are actually like a lot more similar mm -hmm. or like mm -hmm. malleable, mm -hmm. even surgeries aside, even you know, in naturally occurring biology, like within the womb, like yeah, we're absolutely. all a lot more similar than people think. Yeah. I mean, I, so when I learned about that and there's, you can go Google sexual differentiation and see actually it all comes from the genital tubercle mm -hmm. and everything forms from there with the presence of both testosterone and testosterone receptors that are, you know, that re read testosterone, which, yep. um, or androgens that your body didn't have. Right. Um, I like to say that I've never really liked rules. And I guess <laughs> from even before I left my my mom's womb. I was like, no, that's not for me. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it's so fascinating to consider because I think that this concept that biology is more complicated, right. Mm -hmm. Than what we were often taught, I think is really disruptive to a lot of people's understandings of the world that yeah. is so rooted in male and female. And when I talk to people and I post about, you know, one of, one of the repeat posts I have on like a six month cycle yeah. is a, a, a post about biological sex, not being binary. Yeah. Um, and whenever I post it, people go, no, this is just basic biology. No, you're just like, you know, you're getting rid of basic. The word basic keeps coming up. Totally. And it's so funny because I always think, well, actually basic isn't enough. Like you learn basic biology in middle school totally. and it's not enough. It's not enough. But, but also I think um, even putting intersex aside, every trait that exists in the world exists on a spectrum. Right. So even if you're not intersex, right. some people have big boobs, some people have small boobs, mm -hmm. some people can grow facial hair, some people can't. Like right, right. It, 
setting the intersex aside, there is a broad spectrum of how human beings develop naturally in the world. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, I'm not sure why it's so hard for people to grasp yeah. that intersex people exist. <laughs> I mean, I think you're spot on. And and I think also what people don't recognize is there's far more folks who are intersex yeah. than not only than like society assumes, but then intersex folks know, yes. right? Like I, I've read a lot about how intersex folks don't might not even know that they're intersex until totally. after they're gone. Um, and, and that's unfortunate because sometimes doctors will lie hmm. to parents. Sometimes parents will lie to children. Sometimes it's a com combination of all of the above. Um, so it is unfortunate that some people, for me, for example, based on my intersex variation, which is called complete androgen insensitivity, mm -hmm. um, my we would not have known that I'm intersex um, until I never got a period one day because mm -hmm. I look quote unquote, female on mm -hmm. the outside, mm -hmm. um, but I've never had a uterus and ovaries, anything that would cause menstruation. Mm -hmm. So that, so my family would not have known I was intersex until around the age that puberty would have right. naturally occurred had my mom not gotten into a car crash when she was pregnant with me. Oh, wow. And that led to them doing testing that showed wow. my parents that I have XY chromosomes. Mm. And so when I was born, they knew that I had XY chromosomes, they had been planning on naming me Charles after mm. both my grandfathers. <laughs> and then I came out of the womb with a vulva and everyone mm. was like, oh, so yeah. And as the story goes, apparently my dad was like, well, we could name her Alicia. That was that hurricane that hit Houston when we were living there in the early eighties. <laughs> so yeah. So you were I'm, named after a hurricane. I'm named after a hurricane that hit Texas. It. And wow, then weirdly enough, are. I ended up here in Texas. Yeah. And, uh, still blowing stuff up, you know, <laughs> 32 years later. But anyway, all this is to say that, yes, there are people that don't find out that they're intersex until around the age of puberty, mm -hmm. or there's some people who have been misled by parents or doctors mm -hmm. and might not find out that they're intersex until much later in life mm -hmm. when maybe they have an unrelated health issue. And then someone looks at their medical records and sees a record of some surgery or some intervention on their body. And that brings up a whole host of questions that then leads to genetic testing and all these other different ways that you can find out that you're intersex. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm curious. And again, like I said earlier, you don't have to answer anything yeah. if, you, if you don't want to, but I'm curious um, about that. I, I read a bit about your experience um, learning that you were intersex, but I would love if you could share a little bit more about that time. And yeah. um, I mean, it sounds like your parents knew from, from, you know, from your birth. Um, and I also read that there was surgery that was performed mm -hmm. on you at birth as well. So I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about, about your experience. We'll, we'll zoom out and talk about sort of like intersex surgery and then trans kids and so well like i have questions we'll get there but i'm yeah. curious to start about your experience with that and yeah um yeah as much as you want to share yeah well i think it's interesting because my mom um was a nurse in the past and so mm -hmm. she had a lot more medical knowledge than a lot of other parents of intersex kids do mm -hmm. and yet the information she received when I was born was that my internal testes could become cancerous one day. And so the doctors recommended, they framed my being intersex as a disorder. They said, your daughter has complete androgen insensitivity. It is a disorder, but, and we recommend removing her testes because they could become cancerous one day. And then after we do that, then we can enact all of these other, you know, hormones, procedures, et cetera, to make sure that she grows up like a normal girl. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of the way it was all framed to my parents. Mm -hmm. It was never framed like Alicia was born intersex. It's different, but it's not a problem. There's mm -hmm. actually nothing wrong with her. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people around the world born like her, mm -hmm. and we can connect you with other parents and resources. And you together can help decide what is the best path for Alicia. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so because of the way it was presented, which by the way, there is a risk that my testes could have become cancerous. There is a risk that anyone born with <laughs> testicles their testes could become cancerous. My ovaries could become cancerous. Right. I mean, like, I think that's like skin making can be cancerous. Any <laughs> organ of our body could become cancerous. And um, and I think an interesting piece to look at too is there are 
certain um, genetic conditions that we know about these days where people are predisposed to certain cancers, like the BRCA gene, for example, Mm -hmm. where we know from a young age that people might get breast cancer or ovarian cancer, Mm -hmm. but you don't see them forcibly removing those people's breasts or ovaries without their consent. Right. They wait until that child is old enough to have a say in the conversation and make those decisions about their own body. Right. With intersex kids, because we're considered not normal, and Mm -hmm. I guess the prevailing thought is, well, who would want a kid like this that doesn't fall into Mm -hmm. a neat little M or F category? So why Mm -hmm. would we even ask the kid what they want? Mm -hmm. And so they default into this cis, heteronormative, patriarchal, normalization of our bodies. And so for me, that involved removing my testes as an infant, Mm -hmm. which by the way, there is um, a lot of information about the risk of exposing infants to anesthesia Mm -hmm. at that young of an age Mm -hmm. um, that should be avoided at all costs, especially Mm -hmm. for a non-medically necessary surgery like Mm -hmm. what I underwent. Mm -hmm. Um, But so for me, it was an internal surgery that not only put me at risk being under anesthesia, but also put my body into basically hormone withdrawal as a kid without the proper supplements for what my body would have needed, which has caused other lifelong harm. For example, I have osteoporosis at Mm -hmm. age 32, Mm -hmm. which most people consider something that like old Mm -hmm. people Mm -hmm. would have, not not a 32-year-old. Um, so for me, there were, there were some real lifelong implications based on that early intervention onto my body for other kids who have external surgeries, who have genitalia that falls outside the quote unquote norm. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes the doctors will default into making those kids girls Mm -hmm. because they say, and this is a direct quote, it's easier to dig a hole than it is to build a pole. Mm -hmm. So they think it's easier to create a vulva than it is to create a penis. Mm -hmm. And so they default to making these little kids girls. And sometimes that is not the right decision based on that child's gender. Mm -hmm. And when the child is old enough to voice their gender, it's too late. These surgeries have been enacted. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes these surgeries are irreversible. Um, And then these kids end up trapped in a body that is not in alignment with who they are. Mm -hmm. So really kind of what we advocate for as a community is that delay is okay. Mm. Like none of these things need to be done in infancy, Mm -hmm. let alone before a child is old enough to speak and have a voice in the conversation. Mm -hmm. We're not saying no to surgeries. Mm -hmm. We're just saying that if you're going to make life altering and irreparable surgeries on a child's body, you should probably have the child as part of that conversation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think what, so thank you yeah. for sharing all of that about yourself and your journey. Um, I, I think what strikes me, like you said, is, is that not having the child part of the conversation bit. Yeah. Um, and, you know, to, to put this into context, right, we've got hundreds of, of anti-trans bills that are yes. trying to ban trans children from making decisions about their bodies with their doctors and with their parents, right? This isn't like trans, like eight-year-olds running around. Well, it's not eight-year-old ever, but ever. It's, <laughs> it's not 13-year-old, right. you know, kids running into doctor's office being like, give me hormones. Like they are doing it under heavy medical review and heavy totally. consideration. Um, and and all, all of these bills, really all of them that I've read, and especially the ones in Texas here, um, have carve-outs, specific carve-outs saying, but we can still perform intersex surgery and i the there's so many ironies here but the easiest way i think to make it make sense to people is you have trans people who want surgeries and hormones with consent you have intersex kids who have never asked for these who have those same surgeries and hormones forced on them without their consent Mm -hmm. so essentially what these bills are saying is we're okay with rape but not with consensual sex It's as simple as that. Yeah. It's not that sex is inherently bad. Right. Sex without consent is not good. Right. It's not We're sex. Not, it's rape. It's rape. <laughs> Just like right. these surgeries, they're not inherently bad, but right. doing them without consent is not good. Right. If someone is consenting and like wants to be a part of, of that, then mm-hmm. of course they should have access to right. that. Right. But I think when you phrase it like that, it like makes people understand. Mm-hmm. And what it really points out is that these bills are not to protect children like their authors want to proclaim. Mm -hmm. Because if it was about protecting children, they would be protecting intersex kids Mm -hmm. against non-consensual surgeries, Mm -hmm. and they would be providing access to trans children 
to medically necessary, life-changing care. Right. It's not about protecting kids. It's about normalizing kids. Mm. They don't think trans kids are normal. Mm -hmm. So they say, don't give them access to the this life-saving care. Mm -hmm. They don't think intersex kids are normal. Mm -hmm. So they say, force it on them whether or not they want it. Right. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's not protecting children. It's no. protecting cis heteronormativity, right? Exactly. It's protecting the patriarchy, which is what, what I think is so like glaringly obvious to me and, and to you, yeah. I think, and what isn't glaringly obvious to the general public, unfortunately, especially yeah. potentially some constituents of yeah. these of these lawmakers, um, and they're getting tricked, right? And it truly mean tricked, right? Yeah. Deceived by this yeah. rhetoric of this is protecting children. Totally. Um, and that's, you know, one of the things that I try to do is expose that it is deceptive propaganda and lies that it's not protecting children, it's protecting the system of power. Totally. Um, and framing these bills in the way that they have, it's also driving a wedge between the trans and intersex communities. Yes. And I'm so glad that we're here having this conversation and that these conversations are happening more often because we need to be allied together within mm -hmm. the broader LGBTQI plus community. Like they are trying to pit trans kids into or trans people into this position of saying, no, these surgeries don't happen when they do, they just happen on intersex kids and they're trying to pit intersex people into be saying block these surgeries. But it's like, well, no, we should be giving these surgeries to people who want them <laughs> with their doctors and with consent. Right. And so it's really like, I think as as soon as people understand the concept, yeah. the language is not that tough. It all boils right. down to consent. Yeah. And I think in the rise of like Me Too in recent mm. years, um, society has a better idea of what consent is. Mm -hmm. So if we all practice consent when it comes to having sex, we should also be able to consent when it comes to the presentation of our sex and gender. Mm -hmm. it, if you should not be able to touch my body without my consent, you sure as hell shouldn't be able to take parts of my body without my consent. Mm -hmm. Or force me to keep parts of or my body. Or force me to keep parts of my body yeah. without my consent. Yeah. We'll be right back with Dear Skylar in a minute. Well, you know, kind of going off of that in your body autonomy, when is the first time, as much as you want to share, when is the first time that you knew you were intersex? Like, was that something you were told from extremely young age? Was that something yeah. you learned at some point where your parents sat you down? Like, how did that? And you asked me that question earlier that I went down a That's big okay, side. That's no, this is, this is a, <laughs> a big good side as a time as any. <laughs> um, so my, as I mentioned, my mom had more medical knowledge than most parents of intersex kids because she was trained as a nurse. Right. And so for her, all she ever wanted was what she believed would help me be healthy and happy. Mm -hmm. But she was also operating under the information that was presented to her. Mm -hmm. In the past 32 years since I've been born, a lot of medical research has been updated. Unfortunately, a lot of it is not included in med schools. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of us intersex people spend a lot of our time educating med students and doctors who have not received that updated information. Right. Um, and so my parents knew that I was intersex from when I was born, mm -hmm. but the word intersex was never even used. Mm -hmm. I was told that I had a disorder of sex development, DSD, right. DSD, which is this outdated terminology because it pathologizes our existence, mm -hmm. just mm -hmm. like being trans used to be pathologized. Disorder, yeah. It used to be considered a disorder. Being gay used to be considered a disorder. Mm -hmm. And kind of like how we've evolved past this idea that we need to conversion therapy being gay out of <laughs> someone. Like we also need to get rid of this idea that we need to conversion therapy intersex kids out of being intersex mm -hmm. rather than using electric shocks, using surgeons to do so. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so my parents knew that I was intersex from when I was born, but it was never presented to them like that. Mm -hmm. And so for me as a kid, I was always told that I had a problem, but I was being fixed and I should never talk about it because I would be made fun of mm -hmm. and I would never find a good husband one day. Mm -hmm. And so I always knew I was different, but I always had this perception that I was a freak mm -hmm. and that I should never share who I was and how I was born because I would be ostracized. And I think that's something that like everyone in the queer community can identify with mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. this need to hide who they are because mm -hmm. they feel like they'll be made fun of or persecuted mm -hmm. based on 
how they were born. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so for me, I never even heard the actual word intersex until I was 26 years old. Wow. And I was reading a magazine, um, in which, uh, a now famous intersex model, Hannah Gabby Odile, they're a Belgian model who actually was also just in a campaign, um, for Beyonce's first foray into the fashion industry, ah, cool. which is really cool. Yeah. Um, aligning with Beyonce's new album. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I read Hannah's story and again, I'd never heard this word intersex, but I was reading their story and I was like, these surgeries and these hormones and parents and doctors telling you to never tell anyone. Every every part of Hannah's story sounded exactly like mine. Mm-hmm. And that caused me to then go online and Google intersex and go down this Wikipedia rabbit hole. And so lo and behold, here I am, you know, 26 years old. And I'm like, wow, I'm intersex. There are tons of people around Mm. the world like me, like the same amount of people as have red hair. Um, That's a lot of people. And Mm -hmm. I had grown up completely isolated. And all of a sudden, here I am after a quarter of a century, realizing there's this whole community that I could access. And that I'm not actually a freak. I'm just different Mm. and we're all different in some way Mm -hmm. or another Mm -hmm. um rather than demonizing that like we should celebrate it and that's what our movement is all kind of about and why we're trying to move away from this dsd terminology and into intersex because um it takes us out of this mode of being a problem that needs to be fixed and it helps us really claim our identity yeah I think I think you're right when you you were you're talking about the need for it's actually in my in my notes for our conversation was was the overlap or the actually sameness to some degree mm-hmm. of trans liberation and intersex liberation is it it is it is the, like you said about consent first yeah. and foremost um, but it's also about this understanding that there's not a need to pathologize difference totally and you know we had gender identity sort of up until 2013 yeah. it was really really Wild. recent yeah. um, and disorders of sexual development I still see that everywhere everywhere um, and I think you know I, I've seen them change it to differences of mm-hmm. sexual development the IOC recently did that yeah um, the it's an incremental step it i think it's like in theory it's i would i would assume it's good except for the fact that it's still dsd it's still dsd yeah (laughs) Uh, and people are probably not gonna change it in their heads from you know but anyways um so i i noticed that when you described cai um you said complete androgen insensitivity and you didn't add syndrome yes and i i watched a video actually in that hormones class that i mentioned i watched a video our professor showed it to us um from emily quinn talking about complete androgen insensitivity um i think she calls it a syndrome but i remember like since then i've written about cai frequently because when i try to talk about biological sex it's a very it's very i think simple as a relative term but a simple way to say hey there's lots of different kinds of bodies out there right um and i've always dropped the s because i as a trans person i don't think that i'm a syndrome and so i don't consider so curious and you're you're helping me catch myself because i had never thought about that because i still say c-i-c-a-i-s but i'm still like learning how to depathologize my own yeah about my own body (laughs) yeah so well i was curious that's what that was my question is you know i noticed you didn't call it a syndrome but i guess you still you still see the acronym yeah yeah, i was and i i like have to stop myself because i've heard people say c-a-i-s yeah and i've now I say C-A-I-I. <laughs> right. Well, and it's kind of like how we um, we no longer call them intersex conditions. We call right. them variations. Right. Because right. conditions still has this. Or traits, right? Right. Or traits. Yeah. yeah. Because conditions still carries this idea that it's like something that needs to be fixed. Right. Versus just a naturally occurring type of human being. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, in that vein, um, I'm curious what if you've experienced um i don't know what the right word is tension i guess with the trans community as an intersex advocate and what that's looked like for you how you've overcome it or what you've learned i guess from that tension because there's a lot of tension within community of course there is and i appreciate that question very much um i think it has been positive and negative Mm -hmm. positive in that one of my best friends is trans she's the one who helped me come out in the first place Mm. um i didn't know how to come out. And like, she was kind of my trans elder, like (laughs) shepherding me through that process. Mm -hmm. So I have a lot to owe to the trans community. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of positive. Mm -hmm. The negative comes when I think we all have this scarcity mindset Mm -hmm. that makes sense because we've been attacked our whole lives. Mm -hmm. And 
we're fighting to be heard and we're fighting to be seen and we're fighting to be safe. Mm -hmm. And it makes sense that we are very protective over our time and our space and our energy. Mm. I think I have seen a little bit of when I try to speak about being intersex, some folks in the trans community thinks think that my message complicates theirs. Mm. And that by me speaking about the surgeries that happen to my body non-consensually, that mm. gives people the wrong idea about trans people who are fighting for access to surgeries. Mm -hmm. And I guess what I would just say to those people is the trans community had to fight for so long to even be included in the broader queer community mm -hmm. and is still fighting for that in some mm -hmm. spaces. Mm -hmm. And when we finally become included somewhere, we can't pull the ladder up behind us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. And I see a little bit of that happening. Mm -hmm. And even as recently as this rally a couple of weeks ago, there was a rally at the Capitol about some of these anti-trans bills, which all included intersex carve-outs, mm -hmm. some of which even more actively target the intersex community. And I can give one example of those later, but um, would affect us more heavily than trans people. Mm -hmm. And yet I tried to ask these advocacy groups, like, hey, is there an intersex speaker at this rally? Like, mm -hmm. these are affecting our bodies mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. was getting no response, crickets, people passing me one way or the other. Mm -hmm. And it got to a point where I'm lucky enough to have JVN as a close friend of mine, Jonathan Van Ness from Queer Eye, mm -hmm. who's a proud non-binary person mm -hmm. who has come to understand everything that we're now talking about, about mm -hmm. the intersex community. And JVN was invited onto this speaking roster for this rally and basically went into the Capitol with me <laughs> and was like, hey, I'm JVN and I'm so glad y'all are here. And I'm passing the mic to Alicia now because mm -hmm. y'all need to hear what she has to say. Mm -hmm. And so it was like, I've seen that there are certain people who have caught up, but it doesn't feel like the broader movement has caught up mm -hmm, yet. Mm -hmm. And so I would just urge people to remain curious and understand that just because we have been marginalized doesn't mean we understand every type of marginalization that exists in the world. And I think because the I and LGBTQIA might as well still stand for invisible at this point mm. in terms of like broader cultural representation. We need all the other letters shouting for us and shouting with us mm -hmm. until we have this critical mass of people that are out as intersex and able to shout for themselves. Mm -hmm. And so I would just ask folks to like remain curious and understand that um, our message we're all so much stronger together mm -hmm. and our messages don't have to contradict one another. Yeah. They don't have to throw one another under the bus. They can actually be super supportive of one another. I think at the core, they, they absolutely are, right? Yeah. I, I, I appreciate the grace and sort of the space you're giving also to understanding where the conflict comes from. Because yeah. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I've received pushback from trans people that will call me like not trans enough or, right. you know, I don't know, two, two athletes, so I, the athlete thing is a big thing for a lot of yeah. queer people because athleticism or, you know, the athlete community is seen as cishet, you know, yeah. and not inclusive of queer people. So I've been called a lot of like, not, you know, not trans enough, not whatever enough. So yeah. I understand it from, from within, but it, to me, it's all an expression of pain. Right. Yeah. Um, so I hear, I hear you kind of making space Hurt for that. People can end up hurting people. Exactly. Um, which is an excuse or like, you know, condoning, but it's, it's, I think it's an empathy that's yeah. necessary in this work. Totally. So I, I appreciate that. But one of the things I'm thinking about in terms of that, you know, so LGBTQIA plus, um, one of the things I get asked and I think has been a conflict in some places like the UK, for example, where they've dropped, like trying to drop the T out of LGB, right? LGBT. And they've said like, no, oh, we're just the LGB group or whatever. And yeah. trying to separate. I've been asked constantly, okay, well, you know, Skylar, especially because I present as, you know, people receive me as a man. Yep. They think that I'm a cis man most of the time. They yep. also receive me as straight. Totally. Um, my my partner is a woman, yeah. right? So like I present in a cishet way. Totally. I present in a way that's comfortable for me. Happens to be cis hat, right? right? Or the way people receive it. Anyways, long story short, because of that, because of that box, um, I think I think there's this space where people, um, what's the best way to say this? Um, sorry, I'm losing. I lost my thought for a second. Well, if I can pick yeah, up please. on it, because I've felt a little bit of this. I also present in a very cis hat way. Mm -hmm. And I think people seeing me right off the bat wouldn't think I have XY chromosomes or that mm -hmm. I was born with balls. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so I do, I have often felt 
not intersex enough mm, as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I've been told that sometimes, but sometimes it just comes from like our own self-policing. <laughs> yeah, well, it's internalized. <laughs> it's internalized, right? And I think what I would say is that those of us who are in the position like you and I are, we can be in certain spaces more safely sure. and help change those spaces. And so that's what I often try to do. Mm -hmm. So for example, it is safer for me in a red state like Texas Mm -hmm. that has held a largely Republican legislator legislative Mm -hmm. body. Mm -hmm. It is often safer for me to walk into certain rooms than it would be other intersex folks or trans folks or people of color. Of color. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so I try to um, acknowledge my privilege and actively use it mm-hmm, by mm-hmm, saying, mm-hmm. if I'm safe in these spaces, let me into those spaces, <laughs> let me change those spaces, mm-hmm. and then hopefully eventually pull some some other folks up with me. Yeah. No, I think that's so key. And I think you hit the nail on the head and thank you for picking up my thought because I think I've noticed that too, where I can be in spaces, especially with men and, and yes. mostly cis men, where they don't first guess that I'm trans. Yeah. And second, then they think that there's, it's, it's a fascinating space to be in, but they'll expect safety with me yeah. when they present misogyny, when they present toxic masculinity, they expect, they'll expect resonance with me. Yes. Um, and it's a, it's a time where I really have to sort of, I feel that I must rise to the occasion in those moments. And um, not always, because sometimes it's not safe, I feel like, to disclose that I'm trans and to then talk about it. But in some moments, it is a real privilege that I get to be there and I get to be listened as a man in those moments. Um, But one of the things I was was sort of zooming out with the the acronym LGBTQIA and and kind of who belongs in the queer and trans community, um, and we both have had experiences of feeling not whatever enough, right? Yeah. To be trans for you and intersex. Um, and one of the things I think that you're, that you're, that I want to highlight that you're saying about intersex, um, advocacy being central to all of this, right? Mm-hmm. Is that if we think about gender and sexuality, um, at the core of it, it, first of all, it is, it is gender identity. And when we think about sexuality, we're actually thinking about sort of directionality, if you will, like orientation towards others, which depends in order to label it, it depends on what we're labeling the person, which yeah. then depends on how we're characterizing not only their gender, but also their their sex. Yeah. Um, and and I just, I don't know if I'm painting this clear enough, but I, I read, I've read a lot about the history of how we sex people yeah. and, and sort of the, essentially the white settler colonialism yeah. harm that has created the gender binary that we know today. Um, and that also created the the boxes that we have for intersex folks and for trans folks. Yeah. And, um, and how it really is all the same thing. Because if you think about it, if we didn't have these really narrow boxes of gender, we wouldn't have narrow boxes of sexuality. Right? Totally. Um, and, that, and then what, right? And yeah. so I think that's, I, I, I guess I'm saying this to highlight your point that I think, you know, my trans siblings and my queer community and people that I know that that may not be, you know, um, engaged for intersex advocacy should be yeah. because it's all the same underpinning. It's the same tools of oppression that, that you know, society is using to oppress trans and queer people. A thousand percent. Well, and it's all of us um, throw off this neat little world order that some people <laughs> are more comfortable with, mm. but the world is a messy place. Yeah. And like, that's what makes it beautiful and cool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It doesn't need to be threatening. Yeah. Well, and I think so the problem is it is threatening to those who are in power. Totally. And I think that's where like I wonder about experiences that you might have had where you have come out as intersex. Yeah. And you've seen it sort of have an impact on others, perhaps negatively, perhaps positively. I was wondering if you could yeah, share yeah, an experience well, like that. So when I came out for the first time, I came out in the bathroom bill hearings back in 2017 Mm -hmm. in front of the Texas Senate. Mm -hmm. And the bathroom bill would not have directly affected me given that it says female on my birth certificate and that I generally use the women's room Mm -hmm. when there are binary restrooms. Mm -hmm. Um, But I realized that this is going to hurt a lot of my trans friends Mm -hmm. and that my story could help shed a light on how ridiculous it is to try to categorize people (laughs) in this way in the first place. Mm -hmm. An unfortunate side effect of all of this is that I have seen those who are oppositional to our existence Mm -hmm. have warped my language against me. Mm -hmm. And one thing that is is really frustrating and truly unfortunate is that since I have come out and other intersex people have started advocating the opposition to our, and when I say our, I mean trans, intersex, and queer rights, Mm -hmm. the opposition has started adopting 
some of the language in terms of like forced sterilization or mm. forced surgeries and stuff. And they've just totally flipped it to where mm. they're using it not to support me and not to do what I'm asking of them, but using it as a weapon against trans people. Yeah. And I think while still making carve outs for while the true still making carve outs against for right, the true right. force sterilization right. of people like me. Yeah. And the frustrating part of this is that I would say the opposition has done their homework way more than the allies have. Mm. And so I would say the Republicans and those in power attacking our communities know way more about intersex bodies than the Democrats do, mm. than the queer community does. Mm. And it's really sad to see. Mm. These bills that are written with intersex carve-outs, mm -hmm. I'm almost like, I almost want to give them a round of applause. I'm like, kudos. I'm like, y'all really know a lot about intersex people. Oh I don't God. know way more about intersex people than my trans friends do, than my queer friends do, mm. than any of my Democrat friends do. And I think until that changes, it's going to continue to be bad for all of us. Mm. And so what I would encourage folks who are listening to this is like, by becoming better allies, it's not only going to help intersex people, it's going to help trans people. It's going to help queer people because the more that we have these more complete messages to refute what they're saying, the better we're going to be able to kill all of this negative legislation, not mm -hmm. just for intersex folks, but for all of us. Right, right. We'll be right back with Dear Skylar in a minute. Well, I, you know, I feel so grateful for my my educational background. And yeah. having, I, I went to what most people consider a very good college. Yeah. I was able to go and take a class on this like specific subject. Like yeah. I pretty much spent a whole semester learning um, about, you know, the biology of sex yeah. um, from somebody who actually ended up being a little transphobic in the end. But oh. anyways, I took a good class. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the class was actually the first place where I was told biological sex is not binary. Yeah. And um, and I, I I could explain the, the you know, sexual differentiation pathways and all the different places where it could um, – well, in, I guess in the in the in the typical sense, get quote derailed, but yep. in, in reality, just variation. Yeah. Um, and so when I have conversations with people that go, well, biological sex is you know just male and female, like I can actually share all of the reasons why that is false. Totally. Um, and I feel very equipped. I feel, and it, that gives me confidence in those moments. So yeah. I have these conversations with people where they don't know what they're talking about, and I do, and it's yeah. and that that makes the conversation a lot easier. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it and it actually does change minds yeah. because they're, you know, when facts are relevant, there are also conversations where it doesn't matter how many facts you have, but in, yeah. in these cases, there are people that are committed to misunderstanding. Yeah. Yes. And they are committed to lies too. Yes. Um, so in the cases where facts are applicable, I've seen it be very valuable that I have this educational background. Um, but it makes me think about how can we get more out there, which is why I'm so grateful that you agreed to be here. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. And I think I work more on the political side, but it really is going to take a cultural shift. Yeah above all else, because we didn't see this broader acceptance of the trans community into the LGBTQI plus community until there was broader trans representation and broader understanding of trans identities. Mm -hmm. We know that with visibility comes additional threats sometimes and additional right. danger right. and visibility without protection is it's actually a, a target and a trap. <laughs> yeah. So right. we understand that. Mm -hmm. But Visibility still has to necessarily be the first step. Yeah. People can't solve a problem that they don't know exists. Yeah. And they're not going to know that intersex people even exist until there is broader representation in film, in literature, in media at large. And so I'm grateful that while I do more work in the political realm, there are folks like River Gallo, who... Um, has a short film called Pony Boy that's being optioned into a feature film um, that is directed by and starring an intersex person. Awesome. Um, I was at South by Southwest, which is this worldwide festival here in Austin. Mm -hmm. And there were two different intersex films premiering this year, wow. which was amazing. I'm part of an intersex film that's premiering later this year as well. So I do see these kernels, like it is starting. Mm -hmm. And I think once we have broader representation across all of society, then we'll be able to finally start like fighting for our rights. Yeah. All right. Well, that sounds like quite the journey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think, unfortunately, I think every marginalized group is, is, has been, or is still going through that same process yeah. of like discovery, right. Education. Yeah. And then, and then actually change. Um, one of the things that struck me, what you said, uh, earlier, and it kind of draws into this part of, of getting people involved. Yeah. Um, is that 
you know, there's there's a lot of variation within, you know, sex categories yeah. in, in and existence of that intersex people. But there's also a lot of variation within categories. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we just if we if we pretend for a second, just pretend where they're all that they're only categories of like cis man and cis woman, if you will, um, then even within those categories, phenotypically, right, people have you said smaller big boobs, they've yeah. got, you know, more or less facial hair, they've yeah. got uh, Adam's apple or not, they've got totally. whatever, we can go on. So their their secondary sex characteristics, so called secondary sex characteristics yeah. are different. They have variations. Yeah. Um, and so one of the things I think about a lot with like trans liberation is that actually trans liberation is liberation for cis people too, yes. because they are also oppressed by the gender binary. So if we apply that to intersex yeah. advocacy, what I'm hearing as well is that understanding that biological sex is not this like incredibly narrow category that actually there's a lot more variation could also help liberate non-intersex folks. And I'm thinking mostly cis well, <laughs> when you think about small dick jokes, for example, yes, like yeah. a, a lot of cis men bear the brunt of that. Right. When intersex people have genitalia of all shapes and sizes. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. when we stop making people the butt of jokes based on how they were born, or as in this case, as you would say, their secondary sex characteristics, that's not Mm -hmm. only going to help intersex people, it's going to help cis people too. Right. Yeah. And I think that's what they miss. You know what I mean? That's that's why I like to to focus on it is I think that most oppressors, I'm going to say it as a general category, miss that the oppression they perpetuate actually oppresses them too. Thousand percent. Um, And I think that the more we can get people, that's one of the things I'm really passionate about, about getting people to understand, especially as somebody who does have access to a lot of men's spaces. Yeah. Um, I I, I see so much pain in a lot of toxic masculinity. Yeah. um, And being able to bear witness to it from an invited place, right? Like where I'm like, actually expected to be in it has been a really fascinating moment where I'm watching all these people maybe making misogynistic jokes and they're doing it to belong. Like the point is to belong. So I know this is not completely relevant, but when I think about it with regards to expanding sort of the concept or the importance of the intersex movement, um, it's all about understanding that we can be more than who society has forced us into believing we can be. thousand percent. Um, the, when, when we think beyond boxes, the limit literally does not exist. <laughs> yeah. And I think sometimes that's scary to people too, yeah. though, because I've also heard people on the flip side of that, they define their themselves by their bodies. Yeah. Um, and when I, when I, you know, people ask me, well, Skyler, how do you know you're a man? I'll be like, well, how do you know? I always flip it. You know, how yeah. do you know that you're a man? And they'll yeah. be like, well, I was born with a penis. Yeah. Um, and that's usually like the simplest answer. And I'm like, but what happens if you lose that? Right. Or what happens if you weren't like, right. let's just say you, everything's the same, but you weren't born with a penis like and they, they they immediately stumble they don't have an answer totally um but i think people like you and i have had to answer those questions yeah. because we weren't handed bodies that that people said made sense yeah what one of the things kind of from that space of understanding that that you know intersex liberation is everybody's liberation yeah. essentially um I, I i watched a video of you um I, or maybe it was a Anyways, I read a quote or watched it. I can't remember which. um, Wherein you said, biological sex is a fallacy. And one of the things that I've been accused a lot of when I talk about biological sex in the ways that we are here, uh, people will tell me, oh, you're just erasing biological sex. You're saying it doesn't exist. And And I have never once said biological sex doesn't exist, I say the categories are not comprehensive, right? And that's what I mean. By saying biological sex is a fallacy, I don't mean that people aren't born with sex traits. Of course, we are all born with sex traits. Mm. It's just this idea of biological sex as a binary category. Right. That is a fallacy. Right. Yeah. And I wanted to make sure that we said that loud and clear because yes. I think that um, there, there, you also, there was a caption you'd written online and it said something like, you know, while they're out there denying science, we're out here writing history. Yeah. Um, and I love that line. Yeah. And I, I think that the, the core there is that um, there's this compl- there's this interesting uh, combination of things where um, a lot of anti-trans and anti-intersex rhetoric is, oh, but the science, you right. know, but then as soon as push comes to shove it's 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 not actually about the science no because um, it's they're pick, cherry picking which science works for them in their given argument exactly yeah and and they're not even it's not even comprehensive like no. the cherry picking is like well science not really yeah <laughs> it's more just like how can i make you like you said earlier how can i normalize this person's body to fit in my categories that work for me totally um, and again, that that hurt that hurt those people too. Like I think that's what I think blows my mind the most is that the people who are making these bills have also been accused, like you said, small dick jokes, for yes. example. Um, I think that those plague a lot of cis men. Well, and by erasing these categories, when we're looking at 
the science of it, mm -hmm. my all of my information, it says female on my birth certificate, mm -hmm. all of my medical information, all of my data is counted within cis women data. Mm -hmm. When I have XY chromosomes and I was born with testes and how that's not helpful for medical research, my body is different. Mm -hmm. We should be researching based on people's anatomy or based on certain anatomical traits. Like people with this trait mm -hmm. are predisposed to this disease. Mm -hmm. The more that we try to lump people into these societal categories versus looking at science based on simple things like what like anatomical traits does someone have, mm -hmm. then it's going to hurt all of us. It's going to hurt all these cis women whose, you know, disease research is thrown off by the presence of someone like me. Hmm. So in that way, we need to like really just reimagine the way that we think about a lot of things, yeah. including sports, right? Hmm. Because when we try to like reduce it into these simple categories and they're trying to be like, well, should it be about the testosterone level? Should it be about the anatomy? What we realize is, is these, this binary category, it doesn't work in any system. It doesn't mm. work in sports. It doesn't work in medicine. It's like, really, if, if we really were to look at science and the basic, what actually exists in the world, we'd have to reimagine a lot of things. And I think that's scary for a lot of people. I think you're spot on. I think there's there's a there's a whole overhaul, right, of the system. Yes. And a friend of mine said this to me recently where he was saying, you know what, the system is set up to fail. Like yes. we, we are not in a system that's set up to encompass difference because difference, you know, disrupts power. Yes. <laughs> um, and I think what you're saying, whether it be about sports or the medical system or what have you, like one of the things I talk about a lot when I do trainings with medical professionals, um, which like, like you do, is reminding them like you, there's actually no need to gender our parts. Totally. And actually gendering them creates more inaccuracies. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, and people will call like, for example, they'll say, oh, Skylar, when you went through female puberty, I said, what does that mean? Yeah. Like, please tell me what exactly you're looking for, especially totally. with medical research, because if you actually just say female puberty, what, what, like truly, what does that mean? And most people, what they really mean is estrogen driven puberty right. that was, you know, maybe natal right. um, in that it came without any kind of intervention, but. Or the beginning of menstruation. Exactly. Which I will never have. <laughs> right. But then what does, so what does that, anyway, so it's just, it's so interesting to think about. Like, I, I think when you actually open somebody's mind to that, I've had so many providers who actually sound pretty transphobic when I first talked talking to them. And then I explained to them, I'm like, fine, if you want to be accurate, this is this is the necessity to be accurate. A thousand percent. Um, and I, I think that's something that people miss as as well. Yeah. Yeah. We gotta we got to build a society that thinks about these traits in a non-gendered way because mm -hmm. well, gender is a societal construct, right? I don't know if you the have time to really get into that <laughs> one, but but yes. <laughs> it's like these body parts that exist, they're there. Right. Gender is something that's a little more complicated. Sure. <laughs> well, and I think I think to tie a bow around it for now, yeah. right? Because that's a very big topic. We'd have to have another episode yes. for, or 20. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I think, you know, what, what people miss is that when we say gender is a construct or when we say, you know, biological sex is not, not binary, it doesn't erase either of those no. things, right? It doesn't say, I think that cis people especially think, and actually trans people think that by saying gender is a construct, by saying biological sex is not binary, that something is then being taken from them. Right. I am very much still a man, right? I still have the body that I have and I still have dysphoria, right? Yeah. I still may have dysphoria even if my parts aren't gendered because they don't feel comfortable or what have you, right? This doesn't erase that that importance of gender, doesn't erase the importance of biological sex either. It just says these things don't have to be gendered in these categories for everybody in this the same way. Totally. Or like for TERPs that don't want to include trans people or sometimes intersex people in their movement for feminism. It's like, mm -hmm. well, I'm out here arguing for body autonomy and control over our reproductive future which is what are you doing? <laughs> what are, yeah. Well, and that's going to benefit all of these women. Right. Like, would they rather not have me arguing for body autonomy? Well, that the, the turf <laughs> argument, and again, this, this is a whole other episode, but the, 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 the trans exclusionary radical quote, feminist, not feminist yeah. arguments is so fascinating to me because they're always talking. I mean, the, one of the core tenets of feminism is that a women are more than their bodies yes. and that bodily autonomy is really important. But in order to exclude intersex women and in order to exclude, 
exclude trans women, you must reduce cis women to their reproductive capacity. Exactly. And it's so fascinating to me that that's where we've gone, but it is. And the, the, the quote feminist movement in that space has really taken a turn back to, you know, 1920 yeah. um, or Which even earlier. <laughs> women's primary reason for existence is just to birth children. Right. And I've had women tell me that. Like I've literally had turf yeah. stand in front of me and say, but the womb is so important. And I say, okay. And yeah, <laughs> like I'm not denying that. Totally, like, I think I think that my womb is sacred. I have all these like I could birth a child. Cool. Yeah, but that doesn't mean anything else about me. That's it. Totally. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, Alicia, we we have to start to wrap up, but I I'm because I don't want to take too much of your time. But I really appreciate this conversation. Me too, and I hope it can serve for people this broader coalescing of our movements. Yeah, and this understanding that trans and intersex folks need to stand together Absolutely. and and that we need our lesbian gay and bi brothers sisters comrades siblings to stand mm. with us too mm-hmm. because by fighting intersex surgeries we are fighting conversion therapy mm. by fighting the pathologization of intersex bodies and people being told that they are lesser than for how they were born we are also fighting heteronormativity Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. so i think you know i hope if people walk away with this conversation with anything they'll walk away understanding that we need stronger linkages and like better Mm -hmm. coalition Mm -hmm. building between all of these different letters yeah um and that really we're all just fighting for the same thing here absolutely yeah we need more of that like you said strong coalition bonding between letters and beyond right like i think like all of these fights are fights for humanity. And I think yep. that's what strikes me about actually most of the conversations that I've had recently on this podcast have been about, been about what I think is really basic, which is that we are all humans. Yep. We should all be granted access to our own bodies. Yep. We should all be granted access with consent to our own bodies. Yep. And then we should be able to live from there. That's it. And, and it's such a basic desire that encompasses intersex rights, it encompasses trans rights, it encompasses women and cis women specifically these rights and encompasses so many different rights we all just want to be free yeah yeah simple as that simple as that well (laughs) thank you alicia so much for taking the time i really appreciate it yeah thanks for having me I'm so grateful for Alicia's broad insights and personal experiences and for her vulnerability in really sharing with us about her experience. Let's answer the question directly. Why is biological sex not binary? The simplest answer is that biological sex just isn't binary, and that's the reason that it's not binary, but let's really explain it, okay? So we're often taught, like we said at the top of this podcast, that XY equals male and XX equals female, but there's actually a variety of characteristics that are involved, and they don't always neatly develop into these categories of male and female. Somebody can have XY chromosomes, internal testes, and not have a penis or scrotum. When we talk about biological sex not being binary, we're not trying to deny science. In fact, we're trying to lean in to the truth of science. A lot of people who say biological sex is binary are relying on things that they were taught in middle school. And what you were taught in middle school might not be comprehensive, which makes sense because most things we're taught in middle school are not comprehensive and the world is much more complicated than what we're taught in middle school. But I think we need to be able to expand our understandings, integrate new information so that we can have better informed conclusions. Sometimes when I talk about the complexity of biological sex and the existence of intersex folks, people will push back and they'll say, but that is just anomaly. But those people are just a small percentage of the population. I actually just recently asked a group of random people what percentage of the population they believed were intersex, and they said 0.0001%. The reality is that 2% of the population is intersex. And you might think, okay, well, that's still only 2%, Skylar. But the reality is that 2% of the world is Russian, 2% of the world has red hair, and 2% of the world has green eyes. No one says that people with red hair or green eyes or Russian people don't exist. And in the same vein, intersex folks also should not be erased. Unfortunately, there is so much pain and discrimination that intersex folks have experienced and continue to experience. Oftentimes, people consider intersex folks to have a body that, quote, needs to be fixed or be surgically corrected. But in most cases, there is absolutely no evidence that suggests that surgery is medically necessary. 
In my opinion, the fight for intersex justice and trans justice is the same fight. We want the same thing, bodily autonomy and the freedom over our own bodies. As Alicia said, the difference between sex and rape is consent. The difference between mutilation and gender affirming care is also consent. Trans and intersex folks alike deserve to choose what happens with our bodies to make sure that we feel safe and comfortable just like any other human in their own body. I strongly encourage you to check out Everybody, a new documentary that was released during Pride Month, directed by Julie Cohen, the same director as RBG, starring Alicia alongside two other amazing intersex individuals, Sean Saifa-Wall and River Gayo. Alicia's new book, Inverse Cowgirl, will be coming to shelves September 19th this fall from HarperCollins with a foreword by Jonathan Van Ness. I've already pre-ordered a copy and I encourage you to do the same. Thank you so much, Alicia, for your time. I hope you all enjoyed this episode. To everybody, especially my LGBTQ plus siblings, I want this episode to be a reminder that intersex justice should be included in LGBTQIA justice, right? That I in LGBTQ plus includes intersex folks. And our fight is the same. We deserve freedom, we deserve access to our own bodies, and we deserve autonomy. What do you think of today's answer? Send me your thoughts or any question you would like to ask me by going to dearskylar.com. You can send me a message via text or even better, a voice message. Dear Skylar was written and hosted by me, Skylar Baylor, for Diversion Audio. Our producer is Antonio Enriquez and supervising producer is Mark Francis. Guest booking by Anthony Lopez and Keith Lowry with assistance from Corey Michibata. Our head of development is Jacob Bronstein with Emma DeMuth. Custom music by Tyler Cash. Our head of marketing is Nisha Gopalan. Executive producers for Diversion Audio are Jacob Bronstein, Mark Francis, Susan Canavan, and Scott Waxman. Diversion Audio.